apologize. We've been a little bit discombob discombobulated today because of the weather and because of uh, other factors. The Rollins are not here. Uh, Robert had to go to ER this morning, and uh, Judy is on her way to Cleburne to be there for the birth of Melody's number six, little Emma. So we're looking forward to that. And um, enjoyed the singing, although I must uh, confess that I uh, regret that um, I can't enjoy singing Christmas hymns because I can't hit the high notes, I can't sing the bass notes because I don't read music, um, and I, I need to sit by Steve because he sings the melody an octave low, and uh, but I can't do that. For some reason, I can't get on key. So anyway, um, but it's good to be here in the Lord's house uh, today. And uh, as we've sung these Christmas hymns to celebrate and remember the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, last Sunday in the sermon, uh, preached about the missionary Messiah. And... Uh, Preaching through Isaiah, there's no trouble, no problem finding good scriptures to preach about the birth of Christ. And so this, this morning, today, we're going to speak on the subject, the promised Messiah. And uh, reading from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. Isaiah 11, 1 through 10. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor. And decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins. And faithfulness the belt of his waist. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with a young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we come before you today to declare your word. Your word is truth. 
your word is powerful. And so I pray that you would take it by your Holy Spirit into each of our hearts today as we study about the great truth of the promised Messiah. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, the subject of the sermon today is the promised Messiah. As we celebrate the birth of Christ during this Christmas season, we are really celebrating the birth of the promised Messiah that God promised through the prophet Isaiah. And <clears throat> Isaiah prophesied that he would come into the world to, to be our Savior. In the history of the world, there have been many men who have come on the scene and promised to lead their people, their nation, to victory, to success, and to prosperity. One such 20th century leader who claimed to be the Messiah of his people was Adolf Hitler. Let me quote an article by netabbey.org titled, Hitler as God. And here's what that article said. Joseph Goebbels, Hitler's chief propagandist, said in a broadcast on April 19th, April 1936, that's two weeks before I was born, uh, that Germany has been transformed into a great house of the Lord where the Fuhrer, as our mediator, stands before the throne of God. Spiritual sentiments of this kind were echoed time and again during Hitler's uh, glory years. Of course, it was Hitler himself who ordered that he be presented as a deified Messiah. When Hitler compared himself to Jesus, he was proclaiming his own divinity. Knowing as we do that Hitler's ambitions were eventually blown, in, blown to smithereens, it's hard for us to realize how so many Germans considered him a supernatural being. But it is true. Millions of German households actually erected shrines that featured a photograph of what they thought of as their dictator's divine countenance. They said prayers in his behalf even directed prayers to him and throughout the day. In the eyes of his people, Hitler had rescued them from the humiliation of their defeat in World War I. Better still, he was going to lead all Germans into a future of unrivaled glory. Freed at last from the dreadful fears that military and economic catastrophe had aroused in them, Germans envisioned Hitler as a truly magical figure of majestic wisdom and power. They saw him as an irresistible force, and they surrendered their whole hearts to him. He hypnotized Germans into worshiping him, successfully presenting himself as a savior and even as God himself. End of quote. We all know how that turned out in World War II. And Hitler was just one of many self-proclaimed messiahs down through the history of the world. The Bible also tells us that in the end times there will come on the scene an evil and unbelievably powerful world dictator who will oppose God and God's people and claim to be the messiah and even claim to be God himself. The good news for us is that God 
has promised a true Messiah who will deliver us, save us, and give us eternal life in heaven. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is the promised Messiah. Like the people in Germany in the 1930s, the nation of Judah in Isaiah's day when he wrote the book of Isaiah, and during that time, they were also looking for a Messiah. They were faced with unimaginably desperate circumstances. Their king had rejected God's clear instructions that they, he should trust God. And instead, the king had formed political and military alliances with the Assyrians, only to see them backfire and end in disaster. The inevitable result was either death or deportation, which eventually we know did happen, deported to Babylon. It was only a matter of time before that was going to happen. In such grave and perilous times, people reach out for something or someone that can come rescue them from their dire situation. That was the mood on the streets of 700 B.C. Judah, also in 1930s Germany, and increasingly in 21st century America, as we see our nation plunging into chaos and disorder and rebellion against authority. And so we're going to study about the promised Messiah. And the first thing I want us to consider is the promised Messiah understands what you're going through. The promised Messiah was to come and be one of us. We know from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, uh, it tells us that uh, they would receive a sign. A virgin would, would conceive and bear a son. And, and his name would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we know that that was a direct reference to the Messiah, the promised Messiah. And so he was Emmanuel. He was coming from heaven. God himself being born in this world to be one of us. And uh, what a wonderful, beautiful, beautiful thing that is. Emmanuel, God with us. And uh, I always love to think of the, the, the Chinese word for Emmanuel. It's the same as English. It's Emanueli. Everybody say it together. Emanueli. Okay, good. Uh, and uh, that simply means God with us. And so uh, the, the Messiah, when he comes, was going to come and be one who would be born of lowly birth. The scripture says that, did I skip a page here? No, I didn't. Okay. The scripture says that there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. 
You will remember that Jesse was the father of David, Israel's greatest king. David's royal lineage holds great importance to the people of Judah and even to the Jewish people today. But Isaiah does not mention David's name here. Instead, he refers to humble Jesse. Jesse was never a king. Being born in the line of Jesse means the Messiah will not be born into the royal family as a crown prince and grow up in the ruling class. He will not start out as royalty. He will inherit his kingdom by the grace and power and authority of God. And yet the promised Messiah would be another David. His birth through his mother Mary was through the lineage of King David. He won't just be the offspring of David, but a greater than David has arrived and we celebrate his birth every December the 25th because he is the promised Messiah. He is the descendant, the greater King David, who is going to rule and reign on this earth. He is going to be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The promised Messiah's birth would magnify God's grace in wonderful ways. And uh, I can't help but think uh, of that scripture in John chapter 1, verse 14. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so when Jesus came into the world, he was bringing God's grace into the world. And uh, he left his throne in heaven to be born as a helpless baby in Bethlehem so that he could grow up to be a perfect man and die for our sins on the cross. A favorite scripture of mine is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, which says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And yes, that is an absolute truth that Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the creator of the heavens and the earth, born in that manger in Bethlehem, grew up in poverty, and yet through his poverty he's made us rich. Point number two, the promised Messiah will possess God's spirit in unlimited measure. Because he has the Holy Spirit on him. And John chapter 3 verse 34. Speaks about the fact that uh, the Spirit of God was upon Jesus without measure. In other words he had the totality of the Spirit of God. Because he was the second person of the Trinity. He was coming in obedience to the will of the Father. And so the Holy Spirit was there with him and filling him and guiding him and empowering him in all that he did. And so because of that, he had the qualifications to lead. He had the spirit of wisdom and understanding, Isaiah says. He had the spirit of counsel and strength, Isaiah told us. And then he had the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And uh, that, that's an interesting statement to me. Uh, Brother 
uh, Steve this morning in the Sunday school lesson from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 spoke about the fear uh, and the need for fear in, in, in our lives. And uh, the Lord Jesus Christ has the fear of the Lord because he was in total obedience to the will of the Father. The world has never known a leader like the promised Messiah. Neither had the people of Isaiah's day. This tender shoot from Jesse's family tree will have the breath of God upon him. He will not attempt to accomplish his goals by human means, but will be controlled by the Spirit of God. He will exercise his judicial and administrative duties with infinite wisdom and understanding. And uh, I think sometimes we wish our national leaders have more of that kind of wisdom and understanding uh, in carrying out their duties in the offices they hold. Unlike every world leader in human history, this Messiah will not require a cabinet of advisors or any of the other political machinery that national leaders need to accomplish their plans and policies. And we're seeing uh, President-elect Joe Biden, who is forming his cabinet and making everything ready and to take over in office. And uh, whether he'll be successful, that remains to be seen. We'll still have to pray for him. The reason is that upon him rests the spirit of counsel and strength. The promised Messiah knows what needs to be done and has the power to accomplish his plans. Isaiah goes on to say that everything this Messiah will do will flow from a unique connection with God. For he has the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord upon him. In fact, the opening phrase of verse 3 tells us that his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. It will be the defining drive of his life and work. Now, this com combination of attributes is revealed in a man who is perfect and without sin. And thus the Holy Spirit finds no hindrances in moving him to do all of the will of God. All we have to do is read the four Gospels. You'll see, in, see him in his life demonstrate the power of God, the love of God, the will of God, the mercy of God as he encountered the hurting, the sick, and the dying. But despite all of his goodness, he was crucified on a cross outside the city of Jerusalem. He was crucified there for you and for me. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. But on the third day, he rose from the dead by the power of God. This is the promised Messiah that Isaiah told us about. 
And all of his life, his miracles, his teaching, his resurrection can only be explained by what we call the incarnation. When God was born as a baby in the person of Jesus Christ. Without that event, without that happening, this world would be total chaos. Total loss. Point number three. The reign of the promised Messiah will bring people face to face with the king. Let me read again verses three through five. It says, his delight is in the fear of the Lord and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. The distinctive features of the reign of God's promised Messiah is captured in three primary words in this passage. Righteousness, equity, and faithfulness. Each of those words is about conforming to a standard. About aligning to a principle. It's plain from this passage that the benchmark by which God's final king will rule is not derived from the people over whom he will reign. He is not elected to this office by an election. There will be no vote. He reigns by the authority of God and rules by the standards of the will of God. Notice that he will exercise his rule over Every level of society. These verses plainly tell us that he will not just deal with the masses, but he will deal with each of us on an individual basis. So he will judge each of us according to the reality of who and what we are, rather than the outward perception we like to portray. We, he will not be swayed by emotion or fooled by ignorance of the truth. He will see you for who you really are. He will deal with you with precise justice, evaluating your life in accordance with the holiness of God. When he pronounces his judgment, it is final. No appeal to a higher court, for there is none. All who are made righteous by faith in Christ will be exalted. And all others called the wicked. Wicked because they refuse to believe in God's promised Messiah. All the others will be cast into a place of eternal suffering and punishment. John chapter 3 verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. 
And then again, John 3, 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And Jesus Christ, these verses refer to, is the promised Messiah. And so it is vitally important that we accept, believe in, receive in, into our hearts this wonderful, true Messiah promised by God. Point number four, the promised Messiah will restore the earth back to Eden. The promised Messiah will restore the earth back to Eden. In one of the most beautiful descriptions in all the Bible of what life will be like when the promised Messiah reigns king over the earth, we see it depicted here in these verses. We see the very nature of the world changed. The whole world and all that inhabit. As we read these verses, we see that predator and prey are no longer natural enemies. Verse 6 says, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf, and the young lion, and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. But something even more striking will happen. Carnivores will see their very nature altered. Verse 7 says that the cow and the bear will graze, their young ones will lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Where mortal danger once dominated in that kingdom, there is a stunning sense of comfort and ease. As verse 8 points out, an infant will play Beside a cobra's pit. And the toddler will put his hand into a snake's den. The future world under God's promised Messiah, God's perfect son, is a picture of the peace that returns everything to its divinely intended purpose. The curse that sunk the world into hopeless darkness, fear, and death is vanquished. It will be the day that Romans 8 speaks about where the whole creation has been groaning together in labor pains for that glorious day of restoration and recreation. And so verses 9 and 10 complete the picture. It says, They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain." For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. None will hurt or destroy another in the kingdom of God's promised Messiah. The word hurt here refers to all that is evil, all that is bad, all that causes pain. 
Destroy means decay or ruin. Isaiah tells us that on that day, all crime will cease. Everything that we do to one another that causes pain will be gone. Nothing will wear out or spoil or ruin. And you say, why? Because the Bible says, For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Everybody on earth will know God. On that day, the root of Jesse, that's Jesus, of course, the promised Messiah, will stand as a banner, a rallying point for the peoples of the world. For the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. So in conclusion, do you know this promised Messiah who was born of a virgin in Bethlehem? Do you realize why this Christmas you need to believe in him, receive him into your heart as your Savior? The world is divided over that baby born in a manger in Bethlehem. For at his birth, God drew a line in the sand. You cannot be neutral about that baby. Why? Because the prophet said his name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. For he will not be neutral about you in the day of judgment. His first coming was marked by giving himself. For he so loved us that though completely innocent, he willingly took the guilt of our sin and the wrath of God on the cross for our sakes. But three days later, he was rose from the dead by the power of God and later ascended to heaven where the Bible says he patiently waits for the conclusion of God's plan for the ages. And then he will come again back to this earth only it will not be in poverty and humility. At the sight of him, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He will not be some regional king or territorial president, but he will be the world's ruler in the power of God and the spirit of God. And he will rid this sin-plagued world of the curse of sin, and by his own word will return all creation into its original God-designed purposes. And God will wipe away all tears from our eyes. There will be no more pain or death or sorrow or loss, for the former things have passed away, and all our hearts longing will be satisfied in him forever. That is our promised Messiah. Thank God for him, for his word, and for the truth that it teaches us today about our promised Messiah. Brother Steve, you got a song to lead? 334. 334. And